There's another unique uh, thing this morning, and I'm going to ask you, you know, I'm just going to flat out ask you, stand up if you need to and walk over here and look into the sound booth. There's no way that I can preach too long now. They put a huge clock in there, and it's saying 1034 right now. So that's a privilege and a blessing for all of you. So, you know, the other one was hard to see, but you can't miss this one. So I'm really... I think you're probably thankful for that. This is a special day for me personally. Uh, I have my sister Lois here from Rockford and my niece Jenny from Seattle. And um, it's a special day also. It's my brother's birthday. Uh, My brother passed away a number of years ago, but our family's together at this time. And... uh, It's one of those days that I'm really grateful for. And both of these ladies have really suffered significant loss in their lives, one recently in our lives, and one many years ago, but just as tragic even today. But uh, I'm so thankful that we're together here. And uh, in God's word, Tom, you know, I got my little piece of paper here from this morning's readings in, in God's word. And uh, the Lord spoke to me this morning. He said, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God, and my times are in your hands. That's really something to think about. Our times are really in God's hands. They're not in ours. We don't control that. And then Jacob, when he was in the wilderness, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. So I think a lot and talk a lot about God's presence And uh, it's pretty easy to stand here in church and say, well, the Lord is in this place, and we're thankful for that. But when Jacob said those words, he was out in the middle of the desert, and he had a rock for a pillow, and he was scared to death, and he had probably couldn't sleep, and God came to him in a vision and a dream, and that's when he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And so it was a reminder to me, family, and to many of you that might need to hear this, that God's presence, no matter where we're at, no matter what it looks like, no matter the loss, the grief, God's presence is promised to us. And it sustains me, and I know it's sustaining you as well. So our passage, our our message today uh, is entitled, Use It or Lose It. (laughs) Uh, I love those stupid little titles, and... uh, It's from a passage, uh, Romans 12, the first eight verses, but let me just introduce it a little bit. Sir Isaac Newton, you've heard of him. Uh, I had to remind myself of who he was. That's just who I am. He was an English scientist and and a philosopher. And uh, he put into words the laws of motion. So he's, he's a really, really bright man. And he understood motion, and so he put it into some words and some laws that we have. And the first part of it says that a body at rest stays at rest unless acted upon by an external force. I thought to myself, I could have told you that. I mean, come on. Uh, when I'm in my easy chair at night and after work and the, and the day's gone, you know what? Try getting me out of that chair. Because I'm telling you, a body that's at rest stays at rest, unless there's an external force. 
And then sometimes on a Tuesday night, I'm in my easy chair, my feet are up, and there's an external force to be reckoned with. Kathy will say, hey, Dave, it's time to take out the garbage. And the next thing you know, I'm up and out of my chair and I'm moving. And I just broke that, that law. And, uh, you know, there's the other side of it. The law goes on to say that a body in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an external force. And I thought, oh, come on, I could have told him that too. How many of you played football in this room or watch football? Yeah. Well, you know this very much, that if there's a uh, running back that weighs about 175 pounds and he's flying down the field and he hits two 300-pound linemen, he's going to stop. And, and that's just a law, you know, uh, a law of motion. And you know what, though? There's actually uh, some life principles to be gleaned from these laws, these natural laws. Some very basic uh, practical stuff. Use your body, keep moving, exercise it, and you will usually benefit by staying, you know, kind of fit and mobile. So one of the reasons that my niece is here is that she's trying to keep me moving, and so we're riding bikes together, and yesterday we had a long bicycle ride along the Fox River, and we've got a couple more planned. So uh, another side of that thing is our minds. If you keep using your mind as you get older, we recognize this, keep reading, keep learning, keep challenging your mind, and you will usually stay sharp for a long time, not always. There's the other option. Sit in front of the TV in your easy chair like I do, uh, eat the wrong things and do nothing and think nothing, and if you're watching TV, you're thinking nothing. I can guarantee you that. That's usually a recipe for disaster. Hence the title, Use It or Lose It. You know, in the last two weeks, we've been talking about disciples. And uh, the first principle was discover. Uh, and, and we talked about the Lord Jesus' words, Come unto me, all ye who labor, and are heavy laden and have a burden. What welcoming words those must have been to the crowds uh, around Jesus as he said that, you know, as a teacher. And what welcoming words they are to us as well. So understand, he's inviting us into his kingdom. He's inviting us into a relationship with him, a personal relationship. Uh, he's inviting us to believe in who he is and who he was. Uh, that he would die on the cross for us and that he would shed his blood and his body would be uh, beaten and bruised and yet he would raise victoriously from the grave over sin and death. And those who have put their trust and faith in that, in that very thing, we call that the gospel, which we need to hear over and over again, when you trust in that gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and you repent and commit yourself to the Lord, you're his disciple. And that's what we're talking about. I needed to define what a disciple really is. So the Lord was discovering disciples when he said, come on to me, come to me, beautiful thing. And then last week we talked about what it meant to develop disciples. And uh, we said that they must be willing to count the cost. And so we spent a long time talking about counting the cost and what that means, not just for us as individuals, but remember we said that the call to make disciples is a church community 
uh, event uh, activity. So this week, though, we're talking about the idea of deploy. Disciples are supposed to deploy. And later on in the message, we'll really define that a little better. But in other words, get up, get going. I put it like, use it or lose it. And uh, I want you to see that this morning in the text. So stand with me one more time and turn to Romans 12, the first eight verses. I'll read those, and if you'll follow along, this is where our text comes from. And I want you to know that I'm very aware of that big red clock back there. So. Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, would you teach us this morning from this passage? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The first thing I'd like you to see this morning is that God's disciples are to be distinct. That comes from these first two verses uh, that we just read. Uh, we spent a long time, I said uh, last week, on what developed disciples look like. But we're thinking about deployment now. We're thinking about as you go out uh, and as you use these gifts, we're to be distinct. And it's clear that the followers of Jesus were to stand out in the world. <laughs> and uh, you remember in Matthew 5, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord made that really clear in a couple of ways. He said to us, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, what good is it? So <laughs> we're distinct. Salt is distinctive, is it not? If you pour a bunch of it on, I like it on steak and tomatoes and eggs and all those things, it's really distinctive. It's a spice. And we Christians, we disciples, are to be the spice of this world. We're to be distinctive. And, and the sad thing is, he says, when you lose that distinction, when you're just bland and tasteless, then you're like the rest of the world. And that's not good. And, and Jesus said we're to be distinct. 
And he said, well, if you can't understand that analogy, let me show you another one. And he goes on in that passage, and he says, uh, you are the light of the world. And that's pretty clear. I mean, this one's really easy to understand. He says, you're the light of the world, and he says, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. How many of you have ever driven into Chattanooga at night or Birmingham at night? And, and some of these cities are kind of coming down through the mountains, and they're up on top of a hill, and it's a beautiful scenario. And that's what Jesus is teaching. There, when you've got a city on top of a hill, you can't hide that. And that's what Christians are to be like. He goes on and says, you don't put your light under a basket. He says, let your light shine. So we are to be distinct. So the question is this morning, and I'm asking, I've had to ask myself this, and I'm asking you to ask yourself this. Uh, as we deploy, how am I distinct from the world? Am I distinct from the world? Well, here's the ways that we're distinct according to God's word. Uh, first of all, devoted bodies. We're distinct in that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, our bodies, think about that in the culture that we live in, our bodies are to be set aside for God's use and for God's glory. Uh, another place in the Corinthian letters, it says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the living God? That's an amazing thing for Christians to think about. And so I just want to say that uh, to keep your body pure and unstained in the cultural climate that we live in today will make you distinct. It will make you stand out. You'll be salt and light if you preserve your body for the Lord keeping it pure and unstained. And that's the moral aspect of that, that. Tom and the other Tom and Dan and I, we've been into prisons. Uh, I'm in there frequently, and we teach Christian fatherhood. And so a lot of men in prison, and not just in prison, in our culture, they have baby mamas. In other words, they have children by several different women. And so when we come to this aspect of keeping yourself pure and unstained, a lot of them wonder, is there hope for me? Can I undo? And so, you know, if they're a follower of Christ, then we talk to them about forgiveness. And I, I, I talk to you and to myself about forgiveness. Many of us have messed up in that area. And, and yet God forgives us, and we can start with a clean slate. And, and so you say, well, you know... <laughs> I haven't been pure. You can start today as a follower of Christ to be pure and to be holy and to have a devoted body. So for our purposes this morning, in light of the idea of deploying, we want to hone in on those words, present your bodies. If you need to do that this morning, do it personally between you and the Lord. Lord, I present my body to you for your glory. Here's my body. Use it. Use me deploy me for your glory. So not only devoted bodies, he goes on and talks about we're to have a dramatic change of mind if we're a disciple of Christ. Uh, we're distinct in that we are not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. Sounds kind of psychedelic, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I, when I read that, it's like, whoa, 
Uh, I read about a man that was in, in prison, and he said, whoa, God touched my mind. It was like magic. He didn't know how to put it in all these Christian words, but I knew exactly what he meant. God transforms our minds in, in Christ. And so we're distinct that way. You know what? One of the most distinct things is that we walk by faith and not by sight. So that's what a Christian is. <laughs> the world really wants to see, and I want to see. Let's confess it. We, we often want to see what's up ahead and, and how am I going to be able to pay these bills and how am I going to be able to do this. And yet God tells us as his children we're to live by faith, not by sight. And when you do that, the world's going to look at you like you're crazy. What do you mean you're trusting God, you know? And they don't understand that. To them, it's foolishness. <laughs> and we know that the Lord Jesus says, uh, you know, uh, or God says he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So we're to have dramatic change of mind. Peter says, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. So that's my challenge. As we're deploying, and we're talking about this idea of deployment, I want you to keep that in your head, we need to say to the Lord, please prepare my mind for action and deploy me for your glory. So God's disciples are to be distinct one more thing. We're distinct in trying to discern God's will. <laughs> it says, in that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Suffice it to say, really, that God's will is made pretty clear in the scriptures. How many of you have had long discussions and long thinking and read books about finding God's will? Come on. Oh, yeah. All my life, people have talked about, well, God's will. What is God's perfect will? What is God's permissive will? And all these ideas. And I think we try and make it into something that's way, way out there. And yet, when I look in the scriptures, and turn to First Thessalonians with me, all through the scriptures, it's spelled out what God's will is. And here's a couple of those texts. I'll just share those with you this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And then we'll look at uh, chapter 5 as well. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verses... Uh, I'm trying to get there. Come on, fingers work. 3 and 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That word sanctification gets people all messed up too. It just literally means to set yourself aside for God's use. This is the Lord's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So, so far this morning, it sounds like we're talking about in the area of immorality, God's will, but turn over to chapter 5, and it, it, it really begins to tell us a lot of things about God's will. And I start in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you. That's God's will. 
and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That's God's will. Be at peace among yourselves, God's will. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Ooh, that's God's will. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak, both God's will. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And now it really gets pointed. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. And it goes on. So I'm just going to tell you, you know, if you're really confused about the Lord's will, Try following those things. Just try following those things, and I'm going to guarantee you that God is going to direct your life. I've used this analogy uh, before, so forgive me. Mark, if you're sitting in a... Mark drives a semi-truck. If you're sitting in your semi-truck, and the motor's not running, and you got a hold of the steering wheel, can you turn that wheel? No. You can't even begin to turn that wheel. So here's the thing. You turn the motor on, and you just start moving a little bit, and all of a sudden, you can steer it. Picture's pretty basic. Moving forward, following the Lord Jesus Christ, he can direct you as you move forward. Very simple picture of God's will. So do those things and watch God lead you. In the Gospel of John... Jesus defines his disciples as those whose will is to do God's will. So this morning, the last point there is, God, help me to be deployed by doing your will for your glory. Moving on. God's gifts to his disciples are diverse. Uh, these are verses 3 through 8 of our text this morning. And last week we talked about disciple-making as a function of the body of Christ, a community effort. And this text spells out the fact that God gives gifts to his disciples to be used as they are deployed. <laughs> uh, verses 3 through 8, you know, it says, uh, for by grace given to me, uh, not to think more highly, uh, to sober judgment. By, and he talks about faith, and it goes on there. So, First of all, the first thing that we see about these gifts, and how many of you struggle with whether or not you have a gift from God? Come on, raise, yeah. See? Boy, I hope by the time we're done that you're not struggling with that. I really do, because God gives everybody a gift that is one of his followers. These gifts are designated by grace from God. They're gifts according to the grace that's given to us. God's grace is what saves us, and God's grace gives us a gift when we're saved so that we can be his disciples. You can't manufacture a gift. How many of you see a gift that you'd like to have that you want to make it yours? Yeah, I've tried to do that. It doesn't work very well. You can't manufacture a gift, although we would like to do that. And you might not have the same gift as someone else. You know... I'm not sure if I have the gift of preaching. I think I'm a better teacher. But how many of you have ever heard of E.V. Hill? E.V. Hill was this old black preacher, and he preached his wife's funeral, and I've always wanted to be able to preach like E.V. Hill. But I can't because I'm not E.V. Hill. I wish I was, though. Man, <laughs> he could preach. So uh, when I think about those gifts, here's what's amazing. You might have, I might have the same gift as E.V. Hill, 
but God is going to use it through my distinct personality of who he made me to be. Think about that. That's, that's what these gifts look like. <laughs> uh, old song, There is a Bomb in Gilead. Some of you remember that? Yeah. If you can't pray like Peter, and if you can't pray like Paul or preach like Peter and pray like Paul, just tell the love of Jesus to sinners one and all. There is a bomb. I love that because it says, you know, if you can't preach like Peter and if you can't pray like Paul, then do whatever it is that God gifted you to do. That's the point this morning. Tell the love of Jesus. We're not deployed to be somebody else. We're deployed to be who Jesus made us to be through our own unique gifting. I think young people really... I know when I was younger and I'd hear preachers, I want to model myself after that. Don't model yourself after somebody other than Jesus. So, Designated by grace from God are these gifts, and also these gifts are demonstrated through humility. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So if we have a gift and we're too proud of that gift, that's not good. And if we don't give credit and glory to God, the Holy Spirit will not be in it. And believe me, in teaching and preaching and all other kinds of gifts, it's tempting to think about, hey, man, I'm really doing a good job here. I'm really nailing it. And that comes right before a fall. So pride is a dangerous thing. And that's why he says these gifts, <laughs> uh, I, I, I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So be careful how you deploy your gift before God and people because of pride. And it's, these gifts are dependent on faith in God. It says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Apparently, we don't all have the same measure of faith. That's an interesting thought to me. It's like, why wouldn't God just give all of us the same amount of faith? as much as we could possibly have. Well, I don't understand that, but we're unique in God's eyes. And he's made us all different. So according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, uh, we uniquely have because of God. So if you think you have great faith, be careful. Because God's word tells us, for by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So even the faith that we have is a gift. And we can't manufacture faith. So we're thankful to God because of that. We have no means of pride. And thank God then that he has deployed you with a gift of faith. And under these gifts, these gifts display the manifold glory of God. Let me reread verses 6 through 8. And I want you to think about the manifold glory of God and different gifts as I read it. It's pretty short. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. <laughs> now listen 
to how Peter describes this. When we went through the book of 1 Peter, you probably remember this. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to, in other words, deploy, to serve one another as good stewards, remember that word, of God's varied grace. I love that word varied. I love the word manifold. When I think of manifold, I think kind of the rainbow or a sunset. It means many fold, varied. And when you look at a sky that God has created and see every different hue and color, and when you look at a rainbow, it's got all these colors. By the way, did you know Kristen arranges her closet according to the rainbow? Isn't that amazing? That's my daughter. She's one of these, uh, I don't know what you'd call her, but she's got everything. <laughs> she's got everything organized. Let's just put it that way. So she's got a, a manifold glory of God closet with all these different colors arranged beautifully. And, but I love the idea of God and his manifold glory because we just see like that much of God. And in his creation, we can see a lot. I love God's creation. And, and yet when he gifted people, that's what he's talking about here. You... Some of you, I could say, I could talk about people in here, and you have the gift of serving, you have the gift of serving, but the gift of serving filtered through this person and the gift of serving filtered through that person, totally different, totally different color. And so I'm excited when I think about the manifold gifts of the body of Christ. And in this room, man, if this was a room, uh, and you know, I love all these colors, I can't see them from where I'm preaching, but I can see that clock, it's really bright. But if I looked at this congregation and I could see colors for all of your gifts and for the way that God is using them uniquely through you, it would be blinding to me and it would just be glorious and beautiful. And I think that's how God sees us. And so I love his idea of gifts. It's amazing. So an amazing picture. The last point. God's expectation is that we... Disciples are to deploy. The gifts he gave us, it says in our text, look at verse 6. This is where my title comes from. Let us use them. Can you say that with me? I don't usually ask you to do that, but just say it with me, just for fun. Let us use them. God intends for us to use these gifts. So, um, deployment. I told you we, we would define it. Deployment isn't a word that I used to hear very much. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I was deployed. But we didn't talk about deployment back in those days. But when I think of deployment, that's what I think of. I think of a soldier, he's been deployed. And so in the military idea, it's putting troops into position for military action. 367 days in Vietnam, I was deployed. And we think of missionaries as being deployed. I have an uncle, had an Uncle David, and Uncle David, uh, when he graduated from college, he uh, uh, gave his life, and he was in World War II, went to college, got really educated, got his doctorate, and he gave his life to a Quiche Indian tribe in Guatemala, where he uh, translated, he and his family translated the Bible, the New Testament, into the uh, Quiche uh, Indian language, one of them. Huh. And so now his son 
is doing exactly the same thing. And so we look at that and we say, oh man, that's deployed. That person's deployed. They're a missionary. They're giving their, their whole life to one dialect. I mean, in, in the New Testament, that's just amazing. But every soldier, every follower of Christ, every disciple is called to, and this is really what deployment is, is called to effective action. Effective action. Utilizing their gift. Utilization. And that's your calling, whether you're at home or whether you're abroad. So hear this statement. It's not about our location. It's not about our status. It's not about our position or context. It's about our stewardship of the gift that God has given to you and to me. And he expects that we're going to use that gift. And you know what? I think most times, and this is hard for me, ask my wife, most times he wants us to bloom where we're planted. <laughs> for a heidel, that's saying a lot, because most heidels have wanderlust. Um, yesterday, as we were riding our bikes in the Fox Valley, and just... Uh, Really, literally, in 20 miles, we visited three of the homes that I lived in before I ever graduated from high school, and that was just some of them. And if we could do the next thing tomorrow in DuPage County, we'd find another half a dozen homes that we had lived in. So wanderlust is a beautiful, it's part of the Heidel thing. I'm always looking, you know, I should be doing this. No, maybe I should be doing this. Maybe God has called me to do this. And my wife, who's as steady as a rock and hates change, is always reminding me, bloom while you're planted. Because this is who God has made you to be. Don't you see that God is using you? That's a beautiful thing. So, stewardship. He expects that we will use the gift he has given us. Bloom while we're planted. Here's deployment depicted. So maybe you're thinking this morning, and I'm, I'm getting close to winding down here. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, I'm not deployable. I got nothing. And a lot of people think that way. I know some. I don't really think I have anything to offer. And I'm just going to run through a couple of people in the scripture really fast, because you think you might not be deployable. Listen to this. You've heard of Rahab, haven't you? Yeah. Maybe you think you're bad. Think about Rahab, a harlot in Jericho, who God deployed and put her in a perfect spot so that she could say to the spies that came in, I will let you come in when God sends you back. I believe that God deployed her. In fact, if you go to the book of Hebrews, she's in the hall of faith, fame, because God used her right there in that spot despite who she was. Maybe you think you're too young. There's this king called King Josiah. Eight years old he was when he started. <laughs> and, and you know what he did? He rediscovered the book of the covenant, God's word. And he read it to the people, to, to the nation of Judah. And he set the nation on a right course. He was deployed by God to be there for that specific time, that specific point. And maybe you think that, you know, nobody knows who you are. You know, there was a servant girl. You remember the story of Naaman? Yeah, maybe you don't. But Naaman, 
was a Persian general, or a Syrian general, Syrian army, and he had leprosy. And there was a servant girl from Israel, from Samaria. And they don't even name her, but she told Naaman's wife how he could be healed. She said, you know, there's a prophet of the living God, a prophet of the living God, that's a testimony, that's a deployment in my nation back in Syria. And if you go see him, you can get cured. Naaman gets cured, and later on he states, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. A servant girl, no name, deployed. You think people don't like you? Some of us think that. Think of Mordecai and Esther. They were Jews in the Persian Empire, and they were despised and hated. And Mordecai, uh, he, he helped Esther to see perhaps God wanted to deploy her and use her. In fact, we get that, uh, that verse, uh, for such a time as this. Perhaps God has put you here for such a time as this. People that were despised, and, and they saved their whole nation and turned history around. You know that I love working with prisoners because I relate well and feel like I'm one of them. Probably am. A criminal. The thief on the cross. What's that all about? We only see him for a couple minutes in the scriptures. <laughs> he was deployed, I think, to be there. To unequivocally say, <laughs> this is what he said, uh, we deserve to die, he says to the other thief. You and I, we deserve to die. But this man, and he points at the Lord Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, remember me. This, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, this day, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. I think he was deployed to be in that spot for that moment. God uses all kinds of people. And if you really have a bad self-image, <laughs> I use this for myself, so you don't have to take it. Remember that God deployed a donkey to speak to the prophet Balaam. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, the donkey. I mean, Balaam's going down, and the donkey gets mad, and he kneels down, and, and he's whipping on him and beating him, and the donkey speaks to him. God deploys. He uses things that we don't expect him to use. He uses people in ways that we don't expect. But we're to use our gifts. And God's deployed you. Each one of you that name the name of Jesus, he's deployed you as a disciple to be used often where you are. Sometimes he sends us places for his glory. Last sub-point, deployment. Just do it. Just do it. Three verses from Scripture that will encourage us to do it. And then we're going to close. This is Peter. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is Paul. Do not neglect the gift which was, which was given to you. That's Paul speaking. Do not neglect the gift which was given to you. Yeah, if you're looking for where these verses are, it's 1 Peter and, and I think it's 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, I'm not sure. 
And then the last thing from Paul, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. He didn't say that might be in you or if it's in you. He said fan into flame the gift that is in you. And then from our text it says let us use them. So this morning, you know, I don't know how God might have spoken to you, and I hope he did. I trust that he did in some way. But I want you to stand with me. And I just for a minute, I know silence drives people crazy sometimes because we live in a noisy world. But just for a moment, I want us to stand and bow our heads and reflect. Listen to or talk to the Lord about your deployment about your discipleship, and also about our deployment as a church. So just a moment of meditation, then I'll close, and then we'll have our closing song. So, Father, we, we do look to you and ask, Father, that you would, first of all, break our hearts so that we would want to use the gifts that you've given us to serve one another and to serve those, Lord, that, that don't know you yet. And Father, I pray that you will encourage everyone in this room with the fact that if they're a follower of you, Lord, that you've given them a gift. And I thank you for how that looks and how it glorifies you. And I pray that we'll always remember it's for your glory. And Father, I pray that individually and as a church that we will manifest your glory through the gifts that you've given us, Father. Help us to deploy. Help us to use them. I ask these things in Jesus' name.